Everybody ready for the word? Well, I am continuing the series that Pastor Matt kicked off last week entitled Church Myths. And I think this is an awesome time in our world to be talking about church myths because there's a lot of, church, there's a lot of myths in general out there. If you look at our world, if you paid any attention to what's going on in our world lately, uh, I would sum it up as this. It's, there's a lot of division and dissension going on. And that's on a, on a world stage, a global stage, a national stage here in our country, here in our communities. And if that's what Satan's doing to, to promote division, he's going to get it down into our personal lives and also in our church lives as well. And I'm not going to talk about what's going on in our world, but I'm going to talk about some church myths today that are prevalent and they're out there. And I think these are important things to know what's a myth and what's biblical truth, because these, these myths that are out there, what happens is we start to, we bring them into our brains, so to speak, and it gives us the wrong view of church. And it gives us the wrong view of what being a Christian is. And it gives us a wrong view of what the Bible says. It gives us a wrong view of what church is. It, it's a wrong view of who Jesus is in our lives. And if you boil all that down, it actually then, it, we create this wrong view of who we are in Christ and why Christ has died for us and what plans Christ has for our lives. And many times this confusion around church myths is, is I would say it's, it's well-grounded, I guess, sometimes. Because sometimes the church, I would say maybe the modern-day church, is too worried about do the people coming into my church like me or do they not like me? Because I have to talk about things that they like that make them feel good so that they will like me and that they will come, keep coming into the church. And that's not what the church is all about, right? And thank God for us here at Life Church X that we have pastors like Pastor Matt and Pastor Katie that they are teaching the truth. They are teaching biblical truths, not just so that we have, there's people out there that like us, but so that there's people out there that are becoming disciples, and they're being raised up in Christ, and they're being able to fulfill the call that God has placed on their lives. And this is a good place to be. Amen. And there's lots of things out there that the devil distracts us with. But as I read my Bible, to me, the, the, the focus as a Christian, is pretty clear. The folks that I should have is that my eyes should be on Jesus no matter what's going on. Just like that song we sang this morning, through it all, my eyes are on him. Through it all, my eyes are on him. I don't know what's going what's gonna to come against me the rest of my life. You don't know what's going to come against you the rest of your life, everything that you have to go through and push through and deal with. But I do know the answer to all those things is we need to keep our eyes focused on him. And last week, Pastor Matt opened up this message series talking about what is the church. And it was such a great way to start it off because there's the, the prevalent thinking for many in our people today is that the church is irrelevant. And that's just simply not true. And we have many people out there, and Pastor Matt alluded to this, and I've had people throughout the years come up to me on a, I would say, a fairly consistent basis who are Christians, and they're great people, and they love God, but they say, you know what, I'm not doing this church thing anymore. I can do it on my own. I can read my Bible. I can have my prayer time. I can talk to a friend. I can listen to worship music. But here's what I tell them. Is that you, you can do that. That's your prerogative, and you will probably see some growth out of those things because anytime you're reading the Bible, it's a good thing. But what I will say, in just my experience of all the people that have told me that throughout the years, I have not once, not once, ever seen anybody do that successfully. It just doesn't work that way. There's something special there's something supernaturally powerful about coming together with a group of believers. Just like what we've experienced this morning in the first 20 minutes. Right? I can drive here and listen to worship music, and that's great. But then when I come in here with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and we lift up God's name together, 
Now that's a powerful experience. That can be a life-changing experience. I'm, I'm glorifying and lifting up God's name and making him great. God can speak to me supernaturally through those moments. Just in the last two and a half, three weeks, I've had three people that are, are close to us that they've had some issues in their life and things aren't going well. And, and I, I turned to my wife you know, a couple weeks ago and said, all three of these cases are examples because all three of these these people would have, are in the position where I'm talking about. They're saying, I can be a Christian, but I don't need to attend church. I don't have a church. And then they have all these things happen in their lives. And then I tell them, I, I say to my wife, I'm like, see, this is a great example. These are great people who mean well. But it's just not working for them. And if you're watching online today, don't, don't be confused at what I'm saying. I'm not saying because you're watching online today that that's a bad thing. Again, as I opened up the statements, if you're watching online home, at home with us, you are just as much a part of our church because you're engaged in our church, you're engaged with what's going on here than the people here today. There are various ways to be members of a church. There's not just one way. And all this really, in my mind, it comes down to what do I want my life to be based on? What do I want the foundation of my life to be based on? Do I want it to be based on all these things, all these myths that people are talking about? Or am I going to base it on what's in God's word? The scriptural detail, these spiritual truths that God's laid in front of us. Because what I take into my mind is largely going to be what I put out in my life, what my actions are going to be like. And all these myths that we take in, they're forming our thoughts. And if you're not aware of this, your mind, your mind is the most powerful asset you will ever have. Now on the flip side of that, your mind, if you're taking in the wrong things, can also be one of the greatest detriments you'll ever have. Our mind is very powerful. We have to be careful of what we take in. You've probably heard the, the statement before, you never have to recover from a good start. You never have to recover from a good start. And no matter what we're going, doing in our lives, no matter what we're going through, this is our good start. Our lives, our purpose, our spiritual walk has got to be grounded in the spiritual truths of this book. And these are some of the things I want to talk about today. Because to answer the question that the church is not relevant today is very simply stated, that's a lie from the pit of hell. This book is as powerful today in 2020 as it ever was. And it'll still be your answer and your power and your strength in 2050, 2070. You name the date, the Bible says that God never changes. He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. It's always applicable to whatever we have going in in our lives. Let me pray before we get any further. Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in this church today. Lord, I am in awe that you chose someone like me to represent you by sharing your good news. And Lord, I just pray as we continue this service that your mighty works and your mighty words would be active, effective, and efficient and be supernaturally implanted in the minds and the hearts and the spirits of the souls of the people here today. We thank you, we honor you, and we glorify your most holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. So Pastor Matt, you know, he's extreme in everything that he does, right? And we love that about Pastor Matt. Well, one of the things that he thinks he's best at, he's very competitive. And one of the things that Pastor Matt thinks he's best at, he thinks he's the best fisherman in all of Waterloo and all of Jerseyville and probably all of Illinois, Missouri, uh, ever. And he's always, I'm sure he's a great fisherman, you know, when he's sending me pictures of the fish he catches all the time. And like I said, everything he does is extreme. I've been fishing with him before, and you know, he, and I'm not much of a fisherman, but he casts that lure in that water. And I mean, he's there. I mean, that, that lure hasn't like barely touched the, the, the 
the, the surface of the water, and he is yanking that thing out there as fast as he can. He thinks he's got a monster. And sometimes I'm like, Matt, Matt, you didn't even get the fish a chance to grab onto that thing. But he's always sending me these pictures of these fish that he's so proud of. And here's one today. Or no, he, not today. He, this was a while back. That's a pretty nice fish, right? That's great. But my, I went fishing with my son, uh, I guess it was last Saturday, and, we, and he, caught, he caught a couple fish. And so I sent those, the pictures of those fish to Pastor Matt, and this is what they looked like. <laughs> I know you're watching, Matt. <laughs> so dispel myth number one, Pastor Matt is not the best fisherman in Waterloo. <laughs> I'm sure my phone is blowing up about this time. <laughs> Myth number one, the church is all about rules. The church is all about rules. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, wait a minute, yeah, yeah, the church is all about rules. Because we're on this mission to create disciples and on a mission to grow God's church. And we have to have, have rules and we have to follow the commandments and we have to we have to have uh, membership class done the right way and we have to this and that and the other thing. This is the way we clamp down on our members so we can go out there and spread the gospel. We have to be these perfect Christians and bring all these other, other sinners in here so we can get them saved. That sounds like religion to me. And I don't know that Jesus talks much about religion in his word. I think he talks about loving and serving people. See, Jesus wasn't about rules. There are various ways that Jesus served people. There's multitudes of ways that Jesus healed people, spoke to people, took care of people's needs. There wasn't a checklist of things that he said. He didn't see a blind man and go over there and say, okay, now I'm going to get my list of when I heal a blind man, here's my steps one through ten, what do I need to do? You never see that in any of these scriptures. And it's probably not the way he's going to work in our lives either. And this myth that there's so many church rules, I think, again, is a great tactic that the devil uses. Because for the unchurched person the, person, the unchurched person looks at the church and they say, you know what, that church thing sounds like a good idea and I think it's helped a lot of people, but it's probably not going to help me because I'll be, never be able to, met, to stand up to all those rules. I'll never be able to make sure I get to church on time. I'll never be able to make, I, I won't be able to get to church every single Sunday. I won't be able to join a life group every time. I won't be able to have prayer time every time. In our minds, we go through these set of rules, and then we say, you know what? I'm never going to be able to measure up to any of those things. And I believe it even affects people in the church that are, that are church attenders. And they say, you know what? I'm going to come to church because I like worship. Or I'm going to come to church because I like the word. But I'm going to stay socially distanced, if you will, for my entire life because I don't want to get involved in the church. I don't want to usher or greeter or lead a life group or be on the foundations team or work on the worship team because I'll never be able to follow all of the rules that they're going to set forward to me. See, the rules, are only, rules in life are only created to condemn you. And Jesus is the complete opposite. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to save us. But somehow we think we have to, in order for Jesus to save us or to love us, we have to follow this set of rules that we simply can't follow. And we have these things in our mind Again, probably for good reason. Maybe we grew up in more of a religious church. Maybe our parents or our grandparents, well-being people, told us things that were just not actually scriptural. They were more myths. Maybe we haven't, we've had an experience in church. Or quite frankly, here, here's an often one I find. We're, we're listening more to our disgruntled Christian friend 
of all their church myths. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to other people, but what I am saying is be very careful to who you are listening to. And a good way to th think about that is if, if, if your Christian friend is giving you advice, I would, I would take that advice if my Christian friend, if that advice has been a proven track record in his or her life, right? How many times in life, we, we've all done this, do we take advice from a, a friend and then the advice that they're giving in a certain topic or subject of life is advice that is an absolutely complete mess in their own life. We have to make sure we're getting our advice from the source and that it lines up with the source. Here's the big difference between rules and Jesus. The big difference Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where he's talking about the difference between the letter of the law, the rules, the letter of the law, and the spirit of the law. 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. Sometimes in life, and, and, and sometimes in the Bible, sometimes these very simple phrases can radically change your life. This is one of them. But our sufficiency is from God. Chapter, or verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills. The law, the rules kill. But the spirit gives life. Our sufficiency is from God. This is the essence of the Christian experience. You can't put your Christian experience in a list of 10 to 20 rules. You can't put your Christian experience, everything that God has for you and God wants to do for you, in one little nice piece of paper so that you can refer back to it all the time. There's not one document that you can look at and say, these are all the rules that I need to follow, and if I follow them, everything's going to turn out right. It's a daily interacting, walking with God, communicating with God. Listen, Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you. He wants an intimate open relationship with each and every one of us. Romans 7, 6 says, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. There is freedom in walking with Jesus. We don't have to measure up. We don't have to check the box. We don't have to follow all these rules. We don't have to try to be good enough. There's freedom with Jesus. Now that's not a license to sin. Let me put it this way. It's not a license to sin, but it's a power to obey his every word that he gives you. When I read this word, when I communicate with God, I should be in the mindset that I have a hundred percent confidence that what he's telling me is from him. That what he's telling me is for my benefit. To what he's telling me is a part of him helping me carry out my purpose. John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. These songs that we sing, they just aren't songs that we sing. These scriptures that we read and study and I recite, they're just not words that we're just talking about to make you feel good. They are life. These words are life-giving power. 
that are applicable in any area of your life. And I don't know about you, but to me, this is exciting stuff. This is exciting stuff. This is life-changing stuff. Hey, and I'm just like you, right? I, I read these words and I say, man, these are life-changing things. And I think to myself, holy cow, how many times have I got it backwards? How many times in my life have I acted based on a myth out there on something and not on God's word? We do it all the time. I do it all the time. We're fallible human beings. Romans 8. Chapter, yeah, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be spiritually minded, to live like I'm talking about, is life and and peace. Now, I don't know about you, but in 2020, living with life and peace, that sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Now, I would submit to you this morning that even though there's chaos in the outside world, we have the ability as Christians to live a life of peace, of peace and calmness and tranquility by following God's promises for our life. Jumping down to verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The only thing, let's put it this way. Here's what rules do. The only thing rules can really do is convict you or condemn you or give you a sense of hopelessness, right? That, that's what rules do. They're meant to keep you in line. But then once you don't check the box in one of those rules, what happens? You're then convicted. You're then condemned. You then have a sense of hopelessness that I'm not measuring up. It's not going to change you. Actually, it will change you because it'll make you feel worse than you already did before you were trying to measure up to some standard that you don't really care about anyway. But living by the Spirit, man, that, that declares a way of life. That's a source of power. That's a source of freedom. As the scripture says, that's a state of mind that produces life and peace. Even that one scripture, like I said, man, wouldn't you love to constantly be living a life where you're at peace and you have no anxiety and you have no worry and you have no fear? Now, I'm not, saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's reality. Because if somebody that says that they never walk in fear, that they walk, that they walk in 100% faith all the time, that's, that's crazy. It just is, right? I mean, I would, I would put that in the category of that's my crazy Christian friend who doesn't know what he's talking about. And probably that person, when I look at his life, he's probably a complete mess. The church isn't about rules. It's about a powerful example of living God's truths out day by day by day. But somehow we're stuck in all these things. You know, we're called here to live to live an awesome Christian life and to develop a generation of game changers. And that starts with the young, the young kids. Well, one thing that we certainly can't be doing with our young kids, our, our, our young kids, is, is passing down dead traditions that they need to measure up with. We have to be instilling them a, a, a intimate an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, 
where they have this one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ that will carry them through the course of their lifetime. They can't be dependent on some dead myth that we pass down or that mom or dad has told them about. They have to experience Christ for themselves because once they have an experience with Christ, man, that fuels the rest of their life. They can get good advice from mom or dad or the youth pastor or the senior pastor, but many times that's only going to help in the moment. That's fleeting. But if they have that connection with Jesus Christ, that's a powerful experience that will be with them every day of their life. Myth number two. The church is where I go to get my needs met. The church is where I go to get my needs met. And again, this sounds like it's a pretty good deal, right? I mean, you got people out there that are thinking, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm struggling a little bit. I, you know, I, I've got some needs. They could be, you know, spiritual needs, whatever needs. And, you know, I've heard about this church thing. They, 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 they're good with people, I think. That's kind of their business. I might go to the church and get all my needs met. It's actually a myth. And I'll tell you why. Number one is... There are various things that I can do to get my needs met. I can go play golf. I can go to Starbucks, get a coffee. I can go out to dinner with my wife. I can catch a bigger fish than Pastor Matt. Those things all get my needs met. They're not going to do anything for me spiritually. And a common question that, say, pastors get or church leaders get from, say, new people is they say, what do you have here that meets my needs? I'm looking for a church that meets my needs. What are your programs? What are your outreaches? What are your ministries? Or better yet, sooner or later, then they come and say, I'm going to be leaving your church to go to another church that meets my needs better. That's really not scriptural. I'll give you two reasons before we get into scripture. Number one, it sounds good, but it's not reality, because a church that meets all your needs is probably off mission. The church that meets all your needs is probably off mission. The church was never designed to meet all your needs. The church was designed to glorify in God and to show love to the world. Think about it this way. Just with, even with just these people in here this morning. If the church was designed just to meet all of your needs, we would be so focused on the people inside this building and taking care of their needs that the world out there would actually be going to hell and we wouldn't be doing anything about it. That's one reason why the church isn't here to meet your needs. Number two, your needs are never satisfied. My needs are never satisfied. You've probably heard the saying, you know, uh, Needs are like appetites. The more, you, the more you feed it, the hungrier you'll get. The more they grow. Just think of, I used this example in Jerseyville last night. Just think of maybe the richest friend that you know who has the most money that, that, that you know of. And we, we look at that person and say, man, if I had all that guy's money, if I had all her money, man, I'd be set. You know what that person's thinking? That person's thinking, I need more money. Or you could use anything, you know, somebody who has the biggest house, and you say, man, I could, I, could, I could, you know, have 30 people in my family live in their house. You know what that person's thinking most likely? I need a bigger house. What's the next newer, better, bigger, fancier thing out there? Pastor Matt is right now is thinking somewhere, how am I going to catch that bigger fish? <laughs> but here's what the Bible says about meeting your needs. The Bible says it's not about you, it's about others. The Bible says it's not about me, it's about others. This is the truth of the scripture. And it's talking about personal fulfillment, right? And personal fulfillment, which in some sense we're all after, one stage of the being fulfilled. It's a great spiritual paradox. Because the Bible says and Christianity says that the heart of the Christian faith isn't about satisfying myself, 
It's about dying to myself. And trust me, most people, even myself, I've tried to circumvent this many times in my life. We all do, right? Because it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense with what I'm thinking, maybe what I've been taught. But here's the deal. This is the way God has designed us to live. This is, the way, this is what his word explains to us is how we're going to do it. And you've probably heard various studies where it says the most fulfilled people in life, the most happy people in life, are the, mo- are the people that are most generous, that are giving things away constantly. You can Google it and say, and there's all kinds of study, that the most fulfilled people are the people that give things away. Christian and non-Christian, really. And you say, why, why is that even non-Christian? It's because that's the way God has designed us to live. Matthew 20, verse 26. This is where Jesus talks about greatness. Verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Man, that's powerful stuff. That that also goes against any worldly wisdom that you've heard. You know, many times you hear the the phrase or something like, well, you know, well, God, you know, people doing great things. Well, God hasn't called us to be great. God has called us to be great. Because he says it right here. He says it right here on how to be great, to serve others. If he didn't want us to be great, this would never appear in the Bible. Or he would qualify it some way. But no, he, he, he exhorts to say, I want you to be great. I've created you to be great. And here's how I, I've designed you to be great, to serve others. And through serving others, your needs will be met. You know, and as we you know, continue to embark on our journey here as Life Church X and raising up a generation of game changers, you know, that is largely going to be dependent on how you and I, all of us here, play a part in God's plan for our life and how we play a part in serving people and reaching people. And things like this in our life, it's not... It's, it's not an overnight thing, right? There are no overnight successes in life. We all know people out there, we say, boy, that guy has a great business, she has a great business, that guy has a great church, this person is so great at that. Man, how lucky is that? Man, that, that, is, oh, that happened overnight. No, you just happened to stumble upon that person. That person has been cultivating that talent and that purpose for years. That's how this happens in our lives. It's a process of maturity, It's a process of growing. It's a process of allowing us to be discipled and to be accountable to somebody else. It's a process of having a supernatural confidence in our lives that only God can give us. And it leads leads to not just internal strength and internal spirituality, but at least us being able to reach numbers of people out there. And number of our, numbers of people coming into our church. And then you say, well, wait a minute. I thought it wasn't about the numbers of people coming to church. It's not necessarily about the numbers, how large your church gets. But numbers are important. And you've probably heard this phrase before because numbers are important to God. Because every number, every person that walks through that door is a number. Or every person that you reach outside is a number that matters to God. Because associated with every number is a name. And every name has a story. And every story matters to God. Aren't you happy that your story matters to God? My story 
matters to God. This church's story matters to God. Now, to me, these things, man, these things are so exciting that I look at how, how many times that God has blessed my wife and I and our family. I look at how many times God has blessed some of you that I know better. I, I, I look at how many times God has blessed our church, and I think, holy cow, this is always so exciting, but it's only scratching the surface. It's only scratching the surface. When we let God get a hold of our lives and we, when we get a hold of these spiritual truths in this book, man, unbelievable, explosive growth in our lives just by, just by studying and walking out some of these scriptures. Myth number three. Anybody getting anything out of this today? All right. I'm good because myth number three, probably not going to like. Myth number three, the church is all about your money. And that's what I thought, no response. <laughs> the church is all about your money. And I will give you this one. I, I, will say, I will give you the fact that this one is, I will, let's just say, it's, probably, it's been abused by people, no doubt. And this one, that the church is about your money, you have many justifiable questions of why you think this, think this. And one of the common complaints of churches all across our world is they, they talk too much about money. I actually totally disagree with that. I think the church should talk more about money. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But I understand where your thoughts come from because... Let's face it, you know, you can turn on Christian TV, and I'm not against Christian TV, but you, you'll know what I'm talking about. There are certain times you turn on Christian TV, and it sounds like, you know, they're, they're at a used car lot. They're trying to sell you something, right? And like you're somehow getting a discount or something like God's blessings are like on sale or there's like a two-for-one offer. Or it's like it's so confusing. I watch it, and I'm like, I I'm giggling, you know, and... I'm not judging those things. I'm just telling, I'm just, this is what they say, right? You know, you give, if you send in $100, you're going to get $1,000. Or if you send in $1,500, you know, by a certain, certain date, by, you know, the middle of December, you're going to get like 22.2% back on your money or, or something. Or like, you know, you buy this little trinket set and somehow you know, you're going to be blessed forever and never have to do anything ever but buy these trinkets. Or, you know, if you give Wednesday morning before 8.30, you're somehow a better person than the person that gives in the afternoon. It's just crazy stuff, right? So it is what it is. Or you listen again, you listen to your disgruntled Christian friend that you shouldn't do anything with your money, you shouldn't tithe to give to the church or whatever, and your disgruntled Christian friend is probably in debt up, up to his eyeballs, right? Now, good news. The good news is it doesn't matter really what a TV preacher says about finances. It doesn't really matter what your crazy Christian friend says about finances. And honestly, it doesn't even really matter what I'm telling you right now. Believe me or don't believe me, take my word for it, don't take my word for it. I would actually prefer, because I think this, this topic of biblical finance and the way I spend my money as an individual is so important, I would actually prefer that you really not, not trust me when I say this or say these things. But I would encourage you to open up your Bible and see what God says about money. I would like for you to believe me, I think I, I would hope that I've been a little bit credible in what I've said or how I've prevented my case. But if not, this is really what matters. This is really what matters. And I think the church should talk about it more because it's such a devastating issue in our society with people in financial crisis. 
But here's the deal. Back to the myth that the church is not about your money. One, if you're a tither in this place, and I hope that you are because it's biblical, I don't know a way to say this, but your tithe isn't the only thing that's keeping this church going. On the reverse side of that, if for some reason you stop tithing, it, we're not going to have to close the doors because you've stopped tithing. See, the way I view it is this is God's church. And as long as we as a church base everything that we do on spiritual truths and godly truths, it's God's truth, and he is going to take care of his church with people, volunteers, leaders, finances. So the church isn't dependent on your tithe. So the church is not out for your money. But what I will say is that the teaching on the tithe and the teaching about how to be a biblical steward of what you're blessed financially with and why I think the church should talk more about money is for your individual benefit. Because there is a surefire way to have financial freedom. And it's in this book. I'm not saying you're going to be rich. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having financial freedom or even a life that walks in freedom and peace. And I think it's so important because just think of the personal financial crises we have in this world with people all around us. And obviously, we're no different. We have people in this church here today that are dealing with those things. But if anybody's ever been through a financial crisis of their own or they're going through one, you know that it doesn't just affect your finances, right? It's affecting your daily walk with God. It's affecting your marriage. It's affecting your parenting. It's probably affecting your career. It's affecting your mental health. We have staggering statistics on depression and anxiety, and lots of those things are based on financial issues. Even the breakdown of the family and the breakdown of the marriage. If you, if you study divorces, one of the number one things is, is usually money-related. So with all that said, how can the church not be about teaching these financial principles? These are life-giving, all-powerful spiritual truths that God lays out, that he's talking about all the time. When, you know, when this pandemic started and I was working at home for a while, while I was working sometimes, I would watch, you know, in the morning CNBC or... Fox Business News, and they're talking about the stocks in the morning, all these, all these men and women, I mean, they're dressed, you know, they got suits on and dresses, and they got their power outfit on or whatever, and they're, they're talking about what to do with your finances and what the stock market's going to do. And it, you watch it for like a week, and then you realize, holy cow, these people have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> they say, buy this on Monday, buy a little bit more on Tuesday, sell it all on Wednesday, we're not sure on Wednesday afternoon, and then Thursday, we, we don't know, and now on Friday, they talk about, we're, we just want the market to close so we can get, there, get back to our weekend, and then we'll see what happens on Monday. They don't know. These are the experts. Their strategy changes all the time. This strategy hasn't changed in thousands of years. Never will. It's going to be the same strategy in 2050 and 2070. And you say, well, that would, that would be great, but Jesus doesn't talk about money. It's all in here. It's all in here. 38 parables are recorded in that book. 16 of them deal with money and possessions. 288 verses in the Gospels alone deal with money directly. In the entire Bible, there's 500 scriptures on prayer. There's a little bit less of that on faith. There's 2,000, 2,000 on money and possessions. So why does... Why does this book contain all this? Because the church wants your money? No. No. Because Jesus wants to give us all the biblical principles so that we can live a life of freedom. That we can live a life of personal freedom, mental freedom, financial freedom. Malachi chapter 3. I hope this is helping somebody today. I saved it for last for two reasons. One reason is because it's always a touchy subject to talk about in church. 
The second reason is if I started out with this, I probably wouldn't end this because it's, to me, it, it's such an important part of our daily lives. And I'm so passionate about it because I've, I, I've seen what it's done in my life. And again, when I talk about these things, I'm not talking about financially. I'm just talking about I see the power and the effect it's had in our, my life. I see the power of what it's done for our family. I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, hey, we can talk about, I can show you scriptures on tithing, and, and, and we do, or you could just watch the way mom and I live our lives because they're there step of the way. They know we're tithers. This touches every area of your life because for me, it's an act of demonstrating my faith. It's putting my faith into action because it's just another way that I can follow this scripture. Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. It's almost like a challenge. God is just waiting for us to join him. Whether it's this spiritual truth or any spiritual truth. This tithing is the foundation of your spiritual life. I have people come to me throughout the years and they want help with their finances or help on budgeting. And I say the same thing to the Christians and non-Christians. I will help you set up a budget. I will help you go over these things. But just so you know, if you're not a tither, this long-term will not work. It will just break down. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you how. But you're basing your financial status on something that's outside of this book. And then in essence, it's a myth. It's a myth. I'm setting myself on a foundation that isn't true. This book has all of our answers. Guys, you can come up. If I look at my financial life, or my family's financial life, it's, it's really built on one thing. One of the great misnomers about me, and I've said this before, one of the great misnomers about me is that I know a lot about money and finances and what to do with your money and don't, don't really know. But my financial foundation is set on the principle of tithing. Because that word says that when I give God what's rightly his, the first 10% of my fruits, the first 10% of my increase, that's the covenant I'm making with him. Because it's in this book. The church is not about your money. But Jesus is about helping you find freedom in all these things, to live a life of peace in all these things. I, I serve at a, it's called Love and Care Youth Center in inner city St. Louis. We have feeding programs there. And this was about six months ago. I was down there and uh, upstairs there was a little table and I went to go take a break and there was an elderly black gentleman there. He was, looked like he was about Looks like he was 60 and the guy was like 90 years old. Turns to find out he was a pastor. And I sit down there and I'm just taking a break and he says, he says, hey, you know Jesus is coming back? And I'm like, he doesn't know I was a pastor. I'm like, yeah, I, I do as a matter of fact. And he starts going on and on about it and I just wasn't in the mood, right? I was just taking a break for a second, drinking water or whatever, having a bite to eat. And I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, I'm a pastor. So yeah, I, I know. That, that was kind of like my my gauge of, yeah, yeah, buddy, we're, we're on the same team. I, I got it. I got it. But then when I tell him he's a pastor, he's like, oh, you're, you're a pastor. I'm like, yeah, I am actually. And he says, 
And he says, you know what's wrong with young pastors nowadays? And I'm like, no, but I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me. And he says, yeah, the problem with young pastors nowadays is they get outside of the book. And what he means is the Bible. They get outside of the Bible. He says, sometimes in my church when I have a guest preacher, I just sit down there and they say something. I just yell back at the, at the, at the stage. I say, stay in the book. Stay in the book. Because he says what happens is these guys start talking about stuff that isn't in the book. And then when they start talking about things that isn't in the book, they don't know what they're talking about. And I thought to myself, man, how powerful is that? Then my second thought was, holy cow, how many times have I been up here talking about stuff that's not in the book? But here's the deal, that, that message isn't just for pastors. That message is for each and every one of us. For myself, I need to stop talking about stuff that's not in the book. I need to stop worrying about stuff that's not in the book. Because on some level, if it's not in the book, it's a myth. It's not a spiritual truth. And if I'm concentrating or talking about or thinking that's stuff that's not in the book, why would I do that? Why would I live my life focused on things that aren't truth when I have this all right here? Can you imagine if all of us in here today, all we did was live out what's in this book? Now, I'm not naive. We'd all be perfect people, so it's not going to happen. But just think about it. Can you imagine if you lived out for your life everything that God's promised you in this book? That's amazing, right? I mean, this is a powerful scripture. And again, even when I say that, you're thinking, well, you know what? You're getting caught up in the rules because you're thinking, there's no way I can memorize all this scripture. He's a pastor. Maybe he can. They're on the worship team. Maybe they can do it. They're super spiritual. But there's too many rules. Here's what I would say to you for that. And maybe this is your first step. This book is so powerful. Here's what I challenge you to do if you're thinking that you can't make that standard. I'd Google the Bible, get an online Bible, open up an app, grab a Bible. Just pick one verse. One verse. All you have to do is pick one verse out of all these verses and build your life around it act out what this verse is telling you to do, and you will be well on your way to living a life of peace.